Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Buzzer Beater Basketball Podcast. I am your host, Chicker. I am joined not by Pranav, not my my usual co-host, but I have Harrison Fagan of Silver Screen and Roll with me today. Harrison, what's going on? How are you doing? You know, man, I'm doing good. Like, I, I feel like I've been doing, like, the Lakers Championship podcast tour the last couple of weeks. And, like, honestly, it's been fun. Like, I keep telling people, like, this is so much more fun than the stuff that I'm normally talking about during the offseason, like, like, during my career. Because I've covered, like, maybe, like, the six worst Lakers year ever, uh, Lakers years ever before this one. So, like, uh, th- this has been a blast. And, uh, like, you know, I appreciate you having me on. No, for sure. I appreciate you coming on. Um, we've been trying to, I've been trying to get this to work for a little bit, but you know, it's it's tough sometimes getting schedules to work out. But I'm glad we finally uh, found the time. Thanks for coming on with me. Yeah, no, I'm not like you know, I'm always happy to do it. So you quickly, you just you you touched on the whole championship tour, podcasting tour kind of thing. Um, I remember last time when you came on with me, and you were you know we're talking about how that now that this is your job really you professionally cover the lakers that you don't feel like a fan as much as you did before has that changed since we won the championship honestly it had and not since we won the championship it really started to change this year i think that watching a good basketball team again reminded me of why i was a fan in in the first place like Mm -hmm. i think during losing years it's easy to become a little bit more dispassionate and like so you know the way that i try to think about it is like i have journalism training i know how to write unbiased but I think that the best thing that we as a profession can do is uh, like just to be as intellectually honest as possible is acknowledge our biases. And I think that I've mm-hmm. always tried to acknowledge that I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Lakers. Just it's uh, you know it's the team I grew up rooting for. I grew up right. like cheering for these teams, and I think that I can still write about the team in re- a relatively objective way when it's necessary. But I also think that leaning into that fandom has helped me, you know, find stories that matter to people, helps me understand the fan base and like what they want to hear more about because it's the same things that I want to know more about. And so like following that has very rarely steered me wrong. And I think that in like leaning into that a little bit has helped me become a better journalist and become like a better storyteller and blogger and editor and, you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that also this year, Watching a good basketball team, like I said, it kind of reignites your passion for the sport, reminds you of why you started rooting in the first place. So like, I don't, and the other thing is too, my wife has become, as we were talking about before we got on here, like she's become a pretty diehard Lakers fan, you know, like mm-hmm. a little bit, like not, you know, like watching X's and O's breakdowns or anything, right. but she wants to watch every game and, you know, wants to know how the team is doing and like root for them and everything. So like, you know, I think that having that and like watching her enthusiasm, especially during her first playoff run, like she thought it was over when they lost to the Blazers that first oh, game. game like they're just <laughs> literally started crying, like, you know, like had never gone through mm-hmm. like, you know, this whole like experience before. And it kind of helped again, like reignite my passion for it and like made me realize like, oh yeah, this is really fun to like live and die with and like mm-hmm. get really excited about when they win and, you know, like lean into the lows when they lose so that you can understand where people are coming from. So like the way that I kind of look at it is like, I don't necessarily like root like game to game for them to win, but it is better for my job when they do well. And it's fun. It's more fun to cover a good team. And so like, of course I want them to do well. I don't think that will keep me from criticizing them and keep mm-hmm. me from acknowledging like like I don't think that it will bias my analysis I think if anything it causes me it makes me more honest to both acknowledge that and to also like if you want the team to win and you realize that that's good for you and whatever and that that's more fun like you're going to be more honest about when they're doing things that you don't think are going to lead to those results 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the criti- if you're criticizing a team, um, the most honest or the most accurate criticism comes from a place of passion. I think you can't, you know, if you're, yeah. if I'm, so I'm a Laker fan too, right? And I, sure, I mean, I try to watch as much basketball as I can, not just the Lakers, but everything, because I want to learn. I, I really want to get into the X's and O's. Like, that's just one of the things I'm passionate about. But as a fan, as a function of being a Laker fan, I hate the Celtics, right? I wasn't alive for the Magic and Burn era and stuff like that. Like, that history, it's there, but it doesn't have that same emotional thing to me. But it's just a function of it. Like, I have to hate the Celtics. I don't really have a choice. But I can't criticize yeah, I mean, the Celtics. I, I never skip a chance to clown on the Celtics. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I, you know, that's the team that I grew up hating. Like, they beat the Lakers in 08 when I was still like a diehard, diehard fan. Mm-hmm. I remember I got so amped up at one point during the 2008 finals that literally I had like a leg cramp that caused me to collapse. <laughs> Um, because I think I got so dehydrated from like watching the game and get it like jumping up and down and cheering and whatever that like it was later on after I was like upset and then all of a sudden my leg cramped up I literally collapsed and like it had never happened to me before so I thought I was like dying or my leg was gonna fall (laughs) off I screamed the f word and my dad grounded me so like not only did they lose that like 26 point lead or whatever but then i was grounded for a week because i cr- i yelled the f word while my dad was on a conference call so <laughs> you know, not the 2008 finals and the celtics have uh like no love lost for them so how did it how did that change it in 2010 when we won like how, how much was that so extra gratifying? again like these are still, this is before I covered the team. These are still like the diehard fan years. Mm-hmm. 2010, I, and I mentioned this on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, but like it was one of the worst years of my life that I had gone mm-hmm. through. Like, you know, I like my girlfriend that I literally went to a community college that was like a two hour bus ride instead of the one that was down the street. Um, like I decided to go to Irvine Valley College because of her. She breaks up with me on a road trip. Um, oh, no. To, like, like in the middle of the car ride to the Bay Area. While <laughs> Wait. Her, like, yeah, no. So like she breaks up and this is like my first like long time. This is my first long term relationship. Like we've okay. been together almost two years at that point. She breaks up with me on the way to this trip that we were taking with her parents. I have to go through the entire weekend trying to process this and like not have a breakdown, basically. Um, but, you know, like and then I'm going to this community college that I don't really want to be at because of like you know, because I decided to go with her or whatever. Um, and like, you know, look, that's whatever. It's water under the bridge. Like I'm, this is not, right. this is just yeah. set up how bad of a year that was for me. Um, and then like, I was, so like, it was not a fun year. The Lakers really got me through it, at living and dying and like trying to root for that team to go and repeat. And then game seven, I remember, was the day of my friend's high school graduation. And so I missed the whole first half, which, like, thank God, because I think it would have killed me watching it in retrospect all these years later with how into the team I was then. Um, And so I basically only saw the comeback. Like, I did not see, like, them going down and them really going against the ropes and whatever. So I started to watch them, like, as they started to really get it together and come back. And I remember I was watching it. Um, at my friend's house with his uncle, who was like, uh, he wasn't a Celtics fan, but he was a Lakers hater. And okay. so I forget who his team was, but he hated the Lakers. And so he was rooting for the Celtics. And uh, I remember he was like really just trolling me the whole game. It was really, like we were having a <laughs> yeah. back and forth. He was really trying to go at me. And then I remember when Ron Artest hit that three, I screamed in his face. And like then, like that definitely made the dinner afterwards um, as I waited for my dad to come pick me up a little more awkward, but it mm-hmm. totally worked. I mean, yeah, I feel like that would that would be worth it. That that sounds incredible. Just I'm, tell, being, I'm telling you, like die, diehard fan Harrison was different. <laughs> I think, I mean, I don't know. 
Do you ever do you ever miss that? Do you ever miss having that diehard, you know, doesn't matter what happens, this is my team, ride or die type of feeling? Or well, I think I did for a while, but then I really latched on to Cal State Fullerton basketball during okay. my final year there when I wasn't covering the team anymore. Mm. Um, and so because I was like, finally, like I can have a college experience. I can just go root for this team or whatever. So um, like that was actually like a, a lot of fun just to get the like and some of those guys, I knew them and like had become like I've gotten to know them from covering them for like right. two years or whatever. Right. So like getting to see them like succeed and they didn't end up winning the Big West that year, but they had a really fun run through the tournament. I went and got to go watch and like cheer like a crazy person because I wasn't in the press section mm-hmm. with like, you know, a couple <laughs> different people that I knew that went to Cal State Fullerton. So like I've kind of latched on to that. So it's kind of given me that again. And again, like, like I said, like I was excited when the Lakers won the championship. That was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Like yeah. I don't like, but I just have to maintain, I think, professionalism because I'm still reporting on this team and all that. Right. So it's, like, it's a little bit of a balance. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, you can't just completely throw yourself into the fandom or the work. I mean, you have to be able to. But um, yeah. So what did you do to celebrate? How did this, this year? What, what, did, what did you have any, I don't know, like a party or something like that? Like what kind of, how did, what, what did you do? Uh, I did not really get to celebrate too much because okay. obviously like as soon as the buzzer sounded, it was like, right. okay, let's, um, you know, like, to work. Let's start. Yeah. yeah, let's get to work. Let's cover yeah. these press conferences, all that stuff. And so like the only celebration I got that night was I decided to just order takeout because um, like, I was like, I don't want to cook tonight. I'm going to okay. have a bunch of work to do. So we did that. And then, um, you know, like my wife and I, like uh, her birthday was last week. So I like the real celebration that I got was like, um, you know, I took her to the team store and like told her to pick out whatever she wanted and uh, just like bought her like a jersey and a shirt and like some other stuff. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, that was like the real championship celebration with that. But like, okay. honestly, just getting to write about like a meaningful year, like that was the real celebration for me. Like this was mm-hmm. fun. This was more fun than I've had during my entire time covering this team. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the first time we had a championship, I think, since you started covering the team. Uh, definitely. Oh, since- yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, like I said, I've covered, uh, my first day was the day Dwight left. Like, I, I covered the worst <laughs> year of Lakers history to get to this point. So, yeah, it was definitely the best year. You know, it was the best and worst year in, like, a lot of mm-hmm. ways. But, like, uh, definitely the best in how it ended. Do you think you would have had a bigger celebration if it wasn't for the whole coronavirus stuff? Or do you just... Was it just really because of the work and I had nothing to do with the? I think situation? it was mostly because of the work. Obviously, okay. like I think I probably would have went and like hung out with some of my friends over the next couple of days or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like and stuff like that. If that was not going on, but you know, it is what it is. Like you know, I might have went down to like LA Live at some point and like mm-hmm. you know done a story about it, but like gotten to kind of embrace that atmosphere. I obviously right. during a normal year I would have covered the parade. So like yeah, that would have sure. been like a little bit of a chance to just like be around people that were celebrating and kind of soak in that energy, but. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, we are not in a position to be able to do anything like that because we just can't yeah. have nice things in 2020. No matter if something good happens, it just can't be fully good. No, nope, it just can't. There's always there's always that dark cloud hanging above it that you know, it happened in 2020 and everything is just it's like this dy- yeah. dystopian reality that we're in right now. It's oh, honestly. God. Yeah. I Can you imagine just like telling yourself like like <laughs> how this year was going to go at the start of 2020? Like after, after, um, for me, I think after the Kobe's accident in January, I think that's when I knew I was like, this entire year is just going to be a series of awful things over and over again. Like even back then I I was like, okay, it can't, you know, how much worse can it get than this? Right. I was like devastated. Um, when that happened, uh, I was like out for like a week. Like I was just like, you know, in my room 
crying to myself pretty much. It was it was a mess. I was a mess. But at that yeah, point, I mean, like, I, I don't want to memeify it and make like his death like a oh twenty twenty like f you thing like but like mm-hmm. seriously like it started out on like the worst note possible. Like a couple days before, I ended up in the hospital. Like I had I was dealing with gallstones. Like literally the worst pain I've ever been in. Like if you can avoid gallstones, very much do so. <laughs> I don't know um, if you can avoid. I, I don't know how that works. Like does it just happen or is that? I think there's like certain dietary things, but like okay. I eat really healthy. So like they were baffled that I had ended up with them. Like it was totally like some like even more freak thing than an already freak thing. Right. Um. And so like that, it was like seriously not fun. Like I remember on my way out, I was getting pushed out, and the nurse was like, oh, you had gallstones? She's like, I had those. Like, that was worse than my childbirth. And I was like, oh, 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 oh whoa, I can okay. win a lot of arguments down the line in my marriage with this information. Um, that's that's incredible. I, yeah. Um, so, like, I, you know, I, look, like, I'm not saying, like, I'm tougher than any woman who has ever given birth, but I'm not, right, not saying that either. Like, <laughs> of course um, not. <laughs> and, and so, like, like literally like my first day off after so I went back to work like a couple days later just like because I was starting to feel better but like my first day off after that was the day Kobe died and it's just like like that's when I should have known that this year was not going to be like very good and like you know just going through that like I just never imagined that I would cover Kobe's death I never imagined that I would be at his celebration of life like it just didn't seem possible that he could die you know what I mean like yeah that was was the biggest thing he was 40 years old. I just had never considered the possibility like that it would happen. It was just such a freak and like sad and horrible thing. Yeah. it. I remember, I think it was 2017. Um, I could be mistaken, but I remember back when I, that was, I was still in high school. I was a kid. I mean, I was still a kid, but I was even younger back then. And I remember Chester Bennington had committed suicide. He was the lead singer for Linkin Park. And Linkin Park's music was like my childhood, right? They were like a big part of who I am and the kind of music that when I was into. Into community college, one of the albums that I had uh, like on repeat all the time was not that it was them mixed with Jay Z. That oh like, yeah, one, yeah. Like, collab yeah. album. Like I was never super into them by themselves, but that album was awesome. Like I I, I loved that. Yeah, that was that was great. I really I was that, that was my first introduction to to rap and jay-z because i was like who is this what is happening with lincoln park right now who who is this incredible other person? how well it meshes together whoever figured it, that out is a genius yeah uh it, no it really it really is it's it's insane and that's that, that was my first introduction to music outside of like rock music because that was my thing i was like oh you know rock music is cool i'm gonna play the guitar and you know whatever whatever and when when Chester died uh, in 2017, like I was devastated. I was like, "Oh, this icon! He was a legend to me." Um, I don't know how his legacy fits or you know sits with other people that weren't Linkin Park fans. I'm not sure what the music community thinks about him, but to me personally, like that was it was hard for me to get through. And I remember thinking, well, "That's all that matters, right?" Is right. Like, it, it, it all that matters is if it's someone you looked up to, and mm-hmm. like I mean, that's all that matters. But like in terms of how it affects you and yeah. stuff like that, like it doesn't matter if they were a giant star to the rest of the world. Like it, it like it, it's the same thing. Like Kobe obviously is a different level because he was like worldwide famous for mm-hmm. like yeah. almost yeah. more than just basketball. But like that was the, for me, that was the first celebrity that I grew up like. You know, basically, like I always say, that there are two people that influenced my work ethic: my dad mm-hmm. and Kobe. And for me, it was like the first celebrity that I grew up like really looking up to in a lot of ways. Um, and that like had passed, and like it, yeah. you know, it was just, um, like it just didn't seem real. Yeah, no, because I remember back then I was just thinking to myself that hey, I'm this upset when Chester dies. Well, I don't know what's going to happen when Kobe dies. Uh, 
and I thought that would get that was going to be 20, 30, 40 years from now. I didn't think it would be, yeah. you know, this soon. It's, hor- it's just horrible, it's just, man. I, I still can't believe it sometimes. Like, it's just still like, you know, like it still doesn't like the, the, the thing that I actually use, the book that I actually use to, uh, like prop up my mouse is, uh, the Pau Gasol, like life Vita, like life and photo book, because it's like the perfect height to like lay, raise it up off my desk and whatever. And, you know, Pau's great. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, like, and that, that thing has the foreword from Kobe on it. And it's just like, it's like a constant reminder. Like, um, you know, it's just like, it's just unbelievable. I have one of my friends, uh, from high school is really talented artist. Like she could draw like absolutely beautifully. And, I remember for my birthday, she drew me this poster. Um, I don't know if you've seen the pic. Like it's a picture that kind of goes around, I guess. But it's a picture of Kobe standing up there with his arms spread out. It's not the one from. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it, I know no, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and it says it has like MVP on it um, in the background. Um, and she she really she drew that out for me like by hand, like with the MVP and a picture of him. Um, and it was like this pencil drawing, and it was like beautiful work. And she drew that for me for my birthday, and I have that, you know, still to this day on my wall in my in my room. It's like the first thing I look up, I see when I wake up, just to like, you know, remind me that hey, you know, you got to work hard, do what you got to do, and you're going to be successful one day. And that's just my thing. And yeah, I was I was just talking to somebody about this on another podcast, but like one of the thing he asked me like how I dealt with it and how I worked through it, and it was just like look like. I didn't really have a lot of time to process because I immediately had to jump into it. Like right. it was literally my day off when like it happened and I was like, okay, day off over. I'm going to take a recoup day at some point yeah. um, and jumped right into it. And for like several days, it was just like immersing yourself in it. You almost don't even have time to process, but mm-hmm. at the same time you are forced to process it, you know, because you are constantly, you're telling the story as it's happening yeah. in real time. And like, yeah. I, I just think like the thing that got me through it was I, I just kept being like, why am I not grieving whatever? And I was just like, the thing that I kept talking to people about was like the best way that I can pay tribute to him is by use it is by like continuing to work and continuing to do the job. He was a guy that would play through anything. And Mm -hmm. so like, you know, for me, like, you know, it it was basically like the line that everybody kept using during the playoff run was like jobs not finished. And that was kind of the mentality that I took during it was like, you know, I can be sad and like, I can do it, but like, you know, the best way that you can pay tribute to this person that kind of influenced your career in a lot of ways is by doing what they would do, which is continuing to work through it. And that's yeah. not the solution for everybody. That's not saying like, don't be emotional, whatever. Like I was obviously emotional, but like it was continuing to do the job and trying to pay tribute by telling the story as accurately and fairly as I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a big part of it, of pushing through it. Cause like that same day, you know, I found out it took me, it took me like an hour for it to really sit with me. In that hour, I was really just scrolling through Twitter, like refreshing it, refreshing Woj's, you know, Woj's feed and Chem's feed just to like see, oh, it's a fake, you know, it's fake news or, you know, something was wrong. Somebody missed something. Yeah, like that was the thing, like because it was TMZ, you kept waiting for like, okay, like maybe they got it wrong. Like, it was yeah, just, like cross your fingers, like maybe there was something like they accidentally pre-published an obit they had and they were like, you know, who knows? Like, you kept holding out hope that, like, okay, yeah. maybe this is not real. Like, maybe instead they got of, it wrong. Like, maybe they were getting worse. Instead, it got worse. Then they were like, oh, Rick yeah. Fox is on it. And then, you know, yeah. I was like, oh my, yeah. you know, of course, the worst part for me was that Gianna wasn't in. That's just. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's, it's, or, it's I mean, terrible. all those kids, like all the, yeah. like it's sad. Yeah. That all everybody on that like crash, obviously, it's sad. Like forty is not old. Like you, you can't say like oh, like Kobe lived a full life. Whatever. Like I, that's not what I'm saying. But like anytime you it's lose children, kids that are like 
teenagers. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's, it amplifies the sadness because there's so much more potential and so much mm-hmm. stuff that they didn't get to do or experience or whatever. And like, it's, I mean, it's tragic when anyone dies, but like, yeah, that's course. what really yeah. made it like, I think like a worldwide tragedy and like stopping points. Mm-hmm. I think I was able to like kind of cope with it okay for a couple of days but when they had the celebration and vanessa was speaking um yeah that's 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 when i lost that's when i, I lost gotta it. say like that that's the only time i've ever cried while covering an event like because i was mm-hmm. in the building for that and okay. it was just like like it, like she it was just so like it hit so hard and like like she was so unbelievably strong yeah. like while going through that it was, was uh, you no, know he, like incredible feat of strength yeah no, I I don't think I have respect for another person as much as I do for Vanessa after that. I, um, I genuinely cannot believe she got through that speech. Like just with how much you could tell that it was hitting her, mm-hmm. and just I can't, I can't, like I can only course. like pray that like if anything like that, like hopefully that nothing like that ever happens to me. But that if anything like that does, that I can have a fraction of what she displayed that day. Yeah, it's um, I don't, man, I don't even, yeah, I I don't have words to really describe how. Yeah incredibly difficult that has to be for a person um yeah yeah i mean i don't know it's been it's been over six months now and it still doesn't feel real to me it's still yeah it's still you know, like it all comes back like the second you start talking about it i'm sorry i didn't mean to bring it down yeah like, uh, no it's, yeah it's part of it's part of the conversation and i i think it's you know like you said earlier it's important to be able to understand your emotions and like express them it's not all about you know holding it all inside and just waiting for things to pass i don't think that's a healthy way of looking at things so no it's it's definitely not okay so uh apart from talking about kobe and his legacy and stuff like that i wanted to talk about the bubble as a whole and how sure. has you know changed your work really because typically you know you'd go to the games when you know when you could and actually talk to the players and well okay before i ask you anything would you say that you have a, a relationship with any of the players so I would say like there are some of them I definitely know better than others. Like it's it's not like like a friendship or anything like that. But there mm-hmm. are some of them that like they know who I am, and so like they'll talk to me like when we like come into the locker room or at practice or you know off to the side. But definitely not as much as I did during the lottery years, just because there were less of us, so it was easier to get those one on ones and have those like conversations. Right. Um, like like David Nawaba was a guy that I got to know really well because I covered him starting in the in the D League. Like there were guys like Robert Upshaw, like a lot of guys like that that like I really got to know well. Josh Majette, uh, Andre Ingram, uh, those guys I knew really well mm-hmm. because like there was just a lot. Uh, it was a lot easier to get to know them around that. But there are still some guys like you know th- this year that like you know I, I definitely know better than others. Like Jared Dudley is a guy that like you know I wouldn't say like got to know really well. But definitely have a better sense for than like other guys and like yeah you know there are a couple of guys in the locker room like that that like well, that's cool you know I mean, definitely like get to know a little bit better but obviously it's not like it's not like before because there's so much more demand and whatever yeah for sure i mean you know especially if, when you were covering like the g league or the d league i don't but um yeah like definitely it was like, both it was both I, I started in the d league and it changed okay. the g league midway so yeah i i, I was covering d league and g league so you've covered pretty much every league. You covered the D League, the G League, now the league. Uh, that's the NBA. That's cool. I've covered NCAA. Like, yeah, I've yeah. done. Uh, you know, I've I've covered minor league hockey. I've I've done it all. 
Oh, I didn't know you had hockey uh, in, in in there. Uh, oh yeah, no, I that was for a, that was for a journalism class I did. Uh, like I, okay. I went and covered the Ontario Reign for one game, uh, one ill-fated game, what? like the worst <laughs> interview experience I've still ever had. Uh, because the coach was like, I think not used to getting questions. And so I asked him something and he just got so pissed off. Like it was like a pretty standard, like it wasn't the best question I've ever asked, but it was something about like, did he, cause they'd been on a losing streak, but they'd been getting blown out. And they actually like, okay. they went to overtime and came pretty close to winning. So I just basically mm. asked like, is there anything that you could take from like the progress that we see you guys made that you were sure. in this game closer? And he just looked at me like he was <laughs> so offended and angry like literally like mad dogged me for like three seconds and just turned around and walked away damn that's that's, and, that, that's hilarious <laughs> yeah so sight. like that that was intense like and mm -hmm. so like yeah i was uh minor league hockey is not for me um but yeah i've, <laughs> I've done that I've, I've covered a ton of different stuff i've covered you know like track and field at, at like the college level you know I, i've done it all wow okay so how how, anyway. how is the experience different when you're talking to players over Zoom instead of, you know, in person? Uh, it's a lot different because, like, you know, when you are in person, it, it, it's better in some ways and worse in other ways. So, like, the nice thing, uh, the convenient thing about it, I'll talk about the pluses, because I am really appreciative that the NBA and the Lakers still gave <laughs> us the opportunity to, like, ask questions and, like, still be a part of that stuff, because it would have been really easy for them to just like kind of shut off media access yeah. or make it a lot more difficult than they ultimately made it. And I think that they made, like, honestly, like some of this is going to come off like criticism. So I don't want it to, because I think that they made the best of a, like yeah. a not great situation and made it as ideal for us as they possibly could have. So like the thing that was kind of nice and convenient about it was, you know, like I was able to kind of live transcribe and like live tweet these things more easily than mm -hmm. I would be able to if I was in person because you're at your computer keyboard versus being on a phone and like all right. of that stuff. Like it's easier to record. You don't have to hold your mic up there and like, you know, hope that you get a good recording and like reach over people and whatever. Like you get crystal clear audio, like all of that stuff. So there mm -hmm. were definitely benefits to it. The downside is that especially as the playoffs went on, like it is harder to get questions in. And they're going to, as they're calling on, picking on people to call on in Zoom or in person or whatever, they're going to prioritize the bigger name journalists, right. which whatever, like, I, I don't begrudge them that, but like, it does, like, if you were there, you could kind of force the issue and like, keep talking until you were able to get a question mm -hmm. in. Um, whereas like, that was not as possible, um, you know, as the playoffs went on here. But at the same time, like, I'm still like, it, you get so much more context, even being able to just watch it. And a lot of times, like people, like I didn't necessarily have a question, like people asked the stuff that I would have asked anyway. Mm -hmm. So it, it like, it got done. Okay. Um, but you know, like there were pluses and minuses to it. And also like, they're not getting to see your face. So you're not getting to continue to develop those relationships and stuff like that. So there's downsides of it, but I'm also not like a traditional beat reporter where I'm like trying to, you know, like get every single little scoop or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. So like, it was not as disadvantageous for me as I think it would be for a lot of people because what I do is so different. I see. I think, I mean, this is just my perspective, like from complete outsider and a consumer more than anything. But I feel like a lot of the beat reporters, like David McMenamin, I think that relationship that he has with most of the players is like, it's kind of secured already. Like, it's not like uh, this would have impacted that. Yeah, for sure. Like LeBron's not going to forget who Dave is, yeah. you know, just because he's on Zoom for a while. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, like that's, that's a totally different situation than mm -hmm. I was dealing with. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so... You say so they couldn't see you when you were on the Zoom call. 
Um, no, they could not. So it was funny to watch the progression of like NBA technology go along. Like mm -hmm. I was, um, you know, so last summer when they were doing like the introductions for the smaller guys. So like obviously AD, they had a big press conference for like, right. all that stuff. Um, but like a lot of the guys, there was just like, they just did an intro conference call. So it was like chaotic as hell. Like it was kind of hilarious. There was one, I don't remember who was talking, but some radio station accidentally looped their live ads that were playing oh, no. in into the conference call. So we were getting an ad for like some furniture store, like while some Laker was trying to talk, like, and it was like blaring over as the Lakers tried to figure out who it was and hang them up and like knock yeah, them out of the call. Like, yeah. yeah, it was, it was crazy. And so like to go from that to like, okay, so like early on as the hiatus went on, they were having just like normal zooms where they could see us and like, you know, um, like it was kind of awkward because you were looking at, we basically all had like a gentleman's agreement to not like screenshot or record <laughs> because like <laughs> okay. every single journalist looked exactly like you'd expect a journalist to look like during their off time. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like the, the like 15 day quarantine beard yeah. and, you know, unkempt hair and everybody's in sweats and whatever. So like, you know, you had that. And then like, as they got to the bubble, they have like a different kind of zoom technology where it's like, you could see the players, but they couldn't see you. So it was a I little see. different. So before um, before the season was suspended, right? So like going all the way back to March, which feels like five years ago at this point. But going back to that, but so I guess between February and March, where we knew that the coronavirus was like going to be a problem, and we knew it was a thing, but the season hadn't yeah. shut down yet. What were how was that period different for like you as a media, like you know being in the stadium and stuff? What kind of restrictions and stuff did you have then? Um, so I actually, you know, I, I cannot speak to this super well because when they started to finally like treat it like an actual threat and start to mm -hmm. shut things down and there were like some snooty reporter tweets about we're losing access, whatever. It's like, guys, yeah. like there's like a real thing going on here. Like you can't like, like, oh, they can't take away locker room access. Like, like, are you serious right now? Like there are more mm -hmm. important things going on. Like I get that you're like, you want to protect your turf and not lose access, but like, come on. Like right. this is a pandemic, but like, so like I, I can't, but I can't speak to that as well. And what it was like, because at the time I thought I might have coronavirus. Like I, oh. I had a sore throat, <laughs> okay. like I had a cough. I don't, I ultimately don't think that I had it, but mm. because I was concerned I might, like I you didn't, didn't. want to go into the right. locker room and I didn't want to be that guy that like went and created the super spreader event. Yeah. I didn't want to be Rudy Gobert. You know what yeah, I mean? I was going to so say like, that. I was like, I don't know I, if you're going to take his name or not say his name. Okay. But yeah, yeah. no, I, I didn't want to be that. So I stayed home. Like, and so like, but I had symptoms, obviously he didn't have symptoms at the time. Um, But like, it was, so it's a little different. And like, you know, I, I think that he deserves criticism to some degree, maybe not the amount that he ultimately ended up getting, because I don't think that he was the only one not taking it seriously enough. Yeah. Um, but and like he's been really apologetic since so you know it is what it is but like and has, we still have people that aren't taking yeah. it seriously enough including our president so like you know like mm -hmm. Rudy Gobert is not like the villain that I think he was made out to be in some ways but like at the same time like as a hypochondriac myself and as huge germaphobe I was like mm. I, I wouldn't want someone to show up if they had a sore throat and a little bit of a cough so I was actually sending uh Jazz Kang like one of our podcasters mm -hmm. to games in my stead um, because like, you know, it was good experience for him and like, he wanted the opportunity, but yeah, I, I missed like a lot of those games where they started to put in the restrictions because I, I was worried like that I was sick. So, okay. Well, at least you do the responsible thing. I mean, that's, that's, what's more important. You know, I wish that's what's important here is let's acknowledge that how responsible and yeah. ahead of the curve I was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Everybody's living in March. Well, <laughs> Harrison was out here living in October. Uh, that's, that's crazy. <laughs>
Yeah, no, I was what, what the point. The main point is here. I was smarter than everyone else. Yes, it definitely that's the wasn't point. just a fear and dermophobia. So when you're on these Zoom calls now with the players, or I guess not now, but you know, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, during the bubble. Yeah, during the bubble. Were you still wearing your Lakers fedora during that or not? That, that's my question. No, I was not. I, I did not because we were not on camera and also because I'm not trying to get my credentials revoked. Um, I see. But okay. yeah, I, uh, that, no Lakers fedora for that. Um, I did continue to wear it throughout the championship run on podcast and look like, you know, Anthony tries to hate on it every podcast we do, but like <laughs> the results are proven every season that I've worn the podcast fedora the entire time the Lakers won the championship. So like, yeah. I think yeah, it's the question. Yeah, does he want the Lakers to lose? Like, you know, and, and like, he what, might. what are we talking about here? You know, like, I think I think he's just a hater and <laughs> like someone who is trying to like force this team to lose, like by trying to take away this proven method of winning Lakers championships. Yeah, it's not yeah. Anthony Davis, it's the Lakers fedora. It's, it's Harrison and his hat. That's what it is. It's, it's the podcast it's, fedora. It's yeah. the podcast fedora. Yeah. So, okay. How, how, how did that I should start? wear it on the Zoom, so I always joke that like I should put the little press card in it and start talking like a 1930s journalist and be like, <laughs> so LeBron, see, like, what are you, what are you seeing out there? Like, honestly, I find that very, um, for some reason, I'm really fascinated by that 1950s, 60s broadcaster's voice. I don't, like, you know, just like, the, I, yeah, I don't get where that came from. Like, it, it's, yeah, it's crazy. The guy that goes in Dallas and like actually asks questions like that is hilarious. Oh, there's there's a guy like that that still does that. That's, yeah, uh, I forget what his name is. Like you'd I'd, you'd have to look it up. Like it's like okay. Scoop something. Like it's not Scoop B. It's like Scoop Jackson. Oh, not Scoop or, B. No, Scoop Jackson's an actual journalist. It's like it's Scoop something. I forget okay. what it, he, his last name is. But he asked old timey questions to people, and he did it to LeBron earlier this year, last year. Like mm-hmm. it, it's really really funny. Does that get like a yeah, reaction? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did because he asked how LeBron and the Lakers were planning to stop the Razzmatazz hop skiddly do. Oh, I, I remember that. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, like he tweeted that out or something. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. But it's, I don't know. It's um, it, it's something that's fascinated me for for some reason. I I think it's you know I don't know because I didn't get to experience it. Probably is one of the reasons. Yeah, different era, man. Yeah, different era. I mean, times change. You know. Technology changes, people change. Like it's it's part of it. Our voices um, change apparently, and the way we talk. <laughs> yeah, I I don't get, I don't understand like the accent. Yeah, I don't like I don't that. understand. Like if that was actually how people talked back then, I am so glad I was born in the nineties. Because man, that would have been obnoxious. <laughs> it would have. It, it. I mean, I guess if you were born into that, you it would be equally as normal. Normal, but yeah, yeah. but I, it's fascinating to me. But like that time in in history, um, because I don't I don't know like I don't have a history background like at all. I haven't taken history since i was 13 years old and that was in india so i don't know anything about the history of this country <laughs> it's uh it's honestly hilarious cause especially like this year i've really been getting into politics a little bit more right just because it's much more i think it's more important this year than it has been before and because i'm older now like you know when i was a kid i didn't know what was going on um and the, the context of like the history of all this stuff, it, it's so clueless to me. Like I have no idea what was going on. They're like, yeah, don't you remember back in the 60s when you know this president did whatever? And I was like, ah, I, I got nothing, man. I have no idea. But a people's I would very um, much recommend the yeah, People's no. History of the United States, I believe is the book. Um and uh, you know, uh oh, man, what's the what's the name? There I'll I'll recommend it to you off air. I'm like blanking on the name, but there's this book about like the history of journalism as it like goes through um you know, uh, like like mm-hmm. the different eras and how politicians were and all that stuff and uh, the powers that be. It's uh, Baxter Holmes actually recommended it to me, and it's like 
an okay. incredible read that goes through history and how journalism has changed too. Okay. Yeah. That sounds interesting for sure. Uh, definitely want to take a look at that. Would you, I don't really want to get into the, the off season stuff too much here. Cause you know, I mean, we really don't know anything about what's going to happen when I think oh, we know when no the, one knows. we know when the draft is right. I think that's like confirmed. Yes. The draft is the 18th. I want to say 17th. I, it's, I, uh, it's I, November. I believe it's the 18th. Yeah. But because I was, I was looking that up yesterday, but we don't, nothing else is confirmed, right? Do we know when free agency no. starts? No, they're still all in the go, which is why we saw all those leaks last week about like mm-hmm. when like they're they're trying to start the season by because the owners, I think, are trying to jumpstart that process and, you know, ask for more so they can get closer to what they actually want, which I'm guessing is like a January or February start. But if they ask for December, then the Lake, the players feel like they're getting a concession by starting, you know, in January mm-hmm. or December. Okay. So okay. yeah, no confirmed date for free agency, no confirmed date for when players have to opt in by all that stuff like that's still all being negotiated between the NBA and MBPA. I see. That's kind of, that's kind of fascinating to me that even like some of the dates that are like the opt in opt out dates and like the, well, because everything had to get postponed. So like they couldn't, otherwise they would have had players like uh, having to choose whether to opt in or out during the bubble. Like yeah, so yeah, everything yeah. had to get postponed and like all those contract dates. Yeah. Are like getting like kind of rejiggered a little bit. That's interesting. I mean, I, I, being uh, being an agent or being in that in that kind of position right now must be like incredibly just like confusing and in you know uncertain. You're like I have no idea what's going to happen with my clients and when. My yeah, agents, when. agents have a tough job. I will say, yeah. like I, I have a lot of you know there there are some agents that are better than others and there are some agents that I like more than others. But like you know those guys, like I, I could not do that job. I have like a lot of respect for the ability mm-hmm. that it takes to go and do it. I feel like you have to be, you know, 24 hours, doesn't matter what, you have to be, like, available. Um, you have to be vigilant to everything that all your clients are doing, especially when it's, you know, when when you're representing an athlete and you never know what kind of off-the-court extracurricular stuff, something could happen at any point, you know, constantly just being there is, I think that's probably the biggest challenge, like, the biggest challenge that agents have. Yeah, for sure. From my perspective. But I had, okay, so you talked about when the championship was happening, or like after after we won really and getting to work immediately and um you know i've noticed you're you and in general at silver screen you guys are pretty quick at getting you know getting the post out whatever whatever the context is whatever the topic is about but you're you're quick with the work and you've talked about this on twitter a lot and like you know on other shows and stuff like that but you you do pre-writes a lot right yeah how does how does that process kind of work where it's like where are you starting from when you start writing a pre-write so basically what a pre-write is like i I can take you guys behind the curtain a little bit on this like basically a pre-write is a thing that we in the media do for like events that like we think are probably going to happen like actually a really good example of this came a couple weeks ago i forget what publication it was but somebody accidentally published their mike pence has coronavirus pre-write oh i Um, remember that yes i remember that (laughs) you remember what i don't remember what outlet it was but um like they accidentally like it was literally the headline like hold until information but like that was in the tweet uh and they had to like issue a correction for it or whatever but mm-hmm. they accidentally somebody accidentally hit publish instead of save draft or whatever and yeah. in some content management systems when you publish an article it auto tweets like in ours we yeah. can set up a tweet so that when i hit publish it tweets from our account that article with whatever text i like want it to mm-hmm. um and so like you know, if you accidentally pre-publish a pre-write, like that can be kind of problematic because it sounds like you're talking about something that actually happened. 
Um, and so what the reason that we do those is sometimes there's breaking news that is predictable. It just we can't confirm it yet. So like a, a good example of this right now, like we have I, I have done two pre-writes right now that I have sitting in drafts that are, um, you know, the Laker Anthony Davis opts out of contract, enters free agency, Contavious Caldwell Pope opts out of contract, enters free agency, because we know that that is most likely going to happen at some point, right. And we already know what the reaction to that will be. So like, why not just have it ready for when that news drops, basically, mm -hmm. because it's not something that is unexpected. So like the, the reason we do pre-writes is like, generally the threshold is like, if I'm like 90 to 95% sure something is going to happen, so it's worth mm -hmm. being ready for it. So like we had one for like the Anthony Davis trade. We also have ones that we don't use. So like, I, I think like, let me scroll to that uh, folder uh, if I can find it. Where is it? So I had uh, I had one for the NBA finding Frank Vogel uh, during the finals, which they never mm -hmm. ended up doing. Um, okay. I had one for the Lakers adding Marching Bortot on the buyout oh, market, which oh they did not doing. Uh, here's another one: Lakers hire Tyron Lue. Uh, that oh one yeah, that's a big one. Being, yeah. being necessary. Uh, Trevor Lakers trade for Trevor Ariza did not end up being necessary. Uh, Lakers hire Monty Williams uh, did not end up being necessary. So, um, you know, we had NBA canceled season, which did not mm -hmm. end, end up being necessary. So, like, there were a variety of these over the last couple of years that I still have, like, sitting in the pre-write folder. Um, but, like, yeah, so it's basically just, like, having something ready for a fairly predictable event or an event that you mm -hmm. think there's a decent chance of happening. So you just want to be ready. So would you ever um, have you or would you ever, like, repurpose some of that stuff? So let's say, okay, they hired – so when they had – or let, let's say you had one of the pre-writes that, oh, they traded for Trevor Ariza, right? But instead of Trevor Ariza, let's say they end up trading for somebody else. How how much of that is like, is repurposable? Or is it just like, yeah, oh. Yeah, that's not a situation where it really is because like, it's tough. Like if they don't like actually make the move, like to, because a lot of that information is like, how does Trevor Ariza impact okay. the Lakers? So like, yeah. that's out of the, that's kind of out the window. Mm -hmm. um, but one I'm trying to think of a situation where we've been able to republish it and repurpose it. Like, you know, something like, um, like the Anthony Davis, like when we had one at the trade deadline for like right. before he got, so he got traded to the Lakers in like June or July ultimately, mm -hmm. but like during the trade deadline of that year in February, we had a Anthony Davis traded to the Lakers pre-write. Like, so a lot of that, like the information about how that saga had gone was repurposable for the Anthony Davis not traded to the Lakers because the story of how they got there is still the same. It's just the reaction right. that's different. So okay. like, like that kind of stuff translates over, but a lot of the time, like, you know, it, you're basically doing two stories that are similar, but the ending is different. And I like think, your reaction to what that news is, is different, but the context is the same. Is similar. Yeah. Okay. So have you ever, similar? Yeah. Have you ever done that thing where you accidentally publish a pre-write or have you ever? No, thank God. <laughs> okay, okay. I have nightmares all the time, but thank God, no, I have not done that. Not never, okay. never too early on those. Like, it, it, okay. I mean, that's a pretty hard mistake to make, to be honest, especially with the way our system is, where it mm -hmm. auto saves, so there's not a button to save it that you'd have like right next to publish, where you could make that mistake. Like our okay. system even confirms, like when you hit publish, it's like, are you sure? And you have to okay. click it again. Which so is like good. that would in in chorus, which is the content management system we use to write. Okay. Uh, that would be a pretty hard mistake to make. In WordPress, it would be a little easier because save draft is right next to publish. Right. So, okay. Have you ever had a point where it's like you had a pre-write, you had to tweak it a little bit before you published it, and then you go back and realize that there was a mistake or it's like, you know, you 
forgot the dates didn't add up or whatever you know the context was. yeah so like sometimes like we will make that mistake. like the worst one that we ever had was one time um i i think i hit pre-write on a i hit publish on a pre-write but i'd forgotten to add the sourcing so like mm. it's it still said according to xxx which is like uh <laughs> like and it was in bold like and so i had to like really quickly jump back in there and like edit, you know, I forget what reporter it was, but like add and credit them or whatever, mm -hmm. because we knew, you know, the, what the news was going to be. We just didn't know right. who was going to come from. from. And yeah. so like some, sometimes there will be stuff like that. Like, but in general, like, you know, like the stuff is, I don't want to say generic because it's not generic. Like we know if we know what's going to happen, like we know how we'd react to that in real time. And right. so it's just almost like method acting where you're like getting in the moment of like, how would I feel if. Anthony Davis was traded to the Lakers. And so you're writing about that, like basically. So w when that happened, how did you like find out? Did you, did somebody tweet at you and be like, oh. I just, no, I just, thankfully for that one, I just like was opening the links just to give it another look because sometimes like it's just looking at it in the CMS, your eyes glaze over and you look at it once again when it's published and you see stuff because just mm -hmm. the formatting is different once it's live on the site. Right. Um, and so like I noticed that immediately when I opened it up to post the link to Facebook and really quickly fixed it. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. Good. Thankfully, you know, he didn't say according to XXX, that would be... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, pivoting from all of this stuff. I've also accidentally published recaps before where, like, so, like, we're trying to publish within five minutes of game time, and okay. I've accidentally published recaps where it said LeBron had XXX points. And oh, okay. uh, because, like, the game was over, he just hadn't subbed out yet, and I forgot to put in the points before I hit publish. So, like, right. stuff like that will happen more frequently because you're so in the moment of, like, right. trying to get it done quickly. So, pivoting from away from all of this, I have a kind of – it's a generalish question, I guess. I don't really – I even know if you – would have the answer to it but a lot of the stuff you know that we as fans kind of talk about deliberate amongst each other is like oh is this player better than this player whatever whatever right that kind of debate do uh -huh. you know or have a sense of how the players feel about that like if i were to go and ask lebron honestly or lebron's a bad example but if i were going go go and ask like kyle kuzma honestly and i was like hey do you think you're better than lebron just overall as a basketball player <laughs> what kind of, like i don't because i understand that as a player especially at this level right you have to have that competitive mindset of like no i'm the best at what i'm doing and yeah yeah you have to have that but at the same time like when there's a how, how do you know like what is that mindset like for them it's like okay well i know i'm you know lebron's better than me at this how, how, do you know or has that ever come up in any kind of conversation yeah so i think like obviously like from you know when you talk to these guys like not on the record and you're just like kind of shooting the shit or whatever about like the, and like i don't want to use specific names or whatever yeah, because, uh, for obvious reasons so like i know your hypothetical was about kuzma i just want to make it clear all aggregators i'm not talking about kyle kuzma <laughs> yes, um, yes it's just like i, I think for these guys like there's an understanding. I think like they think like Kuzma, obviously, like in that case, like he, there's no way he thinks he's better than LeBron. Right. Like, okay. but like, I'm sure that like some young players do think that they are better than other young players that are more heavily hyped for sure. Or like okay. they are better than guys that are like, they're even sometimes veteran players that think that they're better than the guys that are playing in front of them. Like I, I'm mm -hmm. not going to name names, but you can probably guess who I'm talking about from last right. year's team that right. felt that way. Um, and so like, like there is, there are those dynamics, but I don't think that it's in the sense of like, they're, I don't think that they're like getting it from Twitter where they like see like people being like, 
oh, like Alex Caruso should play more than Tyler Ennis. And Caruso's like, yeah, I know I should. Like, it's not like that. It's like, I mm-hmm. think it's like comes from the internal drive of like, but and it also it doesn't always manifest itself in like this, like, oh yeah, I should be playing better, more than, you know, so-and-so. And like, I should be in the game. It doesn't always manifest in a negative way. It's just like, that's okay. how they, they, that's how well, they justify in their mind. I'm not playing, but I can blame it on X. Like I can blame it on the coach or I can blame it on the front office or whatever. And that's how they I justify see. to themselves. Like when they don't succeed sometimes, I think there mm-hmm. is like a tendency from some players to blame external factors and be like, I know I'm better than that guy, but X, Y, and Z context. Okay. Yeah. I, that's kind of what I was figuring, but I was, cause no, no player is ever going to come out on record and, you know, talk about this or yeah, of course not. Say yeah. It. So I, I, Hey, you know, who knows who might have the answer, but um, yeah, that's something that's, that's kind of just been like, not really bugging me, but I've always been interested in seeing how player perceptions are different from, you know, the fans or the media and stuff like that. I also think that player um, perceptions of other players, not even just like on their team, like who or who they're better than or whatever. Like, I think sometimes player perceptions of like which players are the best are different because they actually, they know who is the hardest to guard. That doesn't always mean the best player, but that's why you see players like really respect Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Mm -hmm. Irving, like we can all look at the efficiency numbers that all the other stuff and whatever, but like when they're out there, it's like, Oh, I just got my ankles broken. That was a tough guy to defend. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Or like they're going to remember when he unleashed some crazy, like wrap around over the back of his head, like, like touched the ceiling, like kissed off the glass and went in like layup or something. But they're not going to remember the five that he missed before that, just because that right. was a tough possession to guard. So that's why like you hear guys like, that's why there were so many players that was like, oh, Melo still has it. Because Melo, even when he wasn't good, was still tough to defend. He'd get into your body. He'd bounce you yeah. off. Like he's still, like he's quicker than you. Like he doesn't always take the best shots, but he will get a shot off over you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, that's why you see a lot of players, like when James Harden won the MVP, like that's why a lot of play, the, the players MVP, you know, over Steph mm-hmm. Curry that one year, like yeah. it's because for players, that's a tough guy to defend. Like he will, like he, he's going to draw fouls on you. He's going to get you out of the game. He has the herky jerk stuff. Like he's going to like hit setbacks over you. He's going to, you know, set that, use that to set up his drives and vice versa. He'll take pull up threes over you, all that stuff. Like that's a tough guy to defend. It doesn't matter whether or not you, like we actually think he's better than Steph Curry. He's probably for them, like they can justify Steph Curry scoring on them because they feel like he was set up by screens. He was set up by whatever. Whereas like with James Harden, it's like, Oh, he's doing that himself. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like yeah. there's a little bit of like, I think they have more respect for the guy, like the scorers than maybe we do. And they value that more because it's tougher for them to actually go out there and defend Jamal Crawford too. Like he's another yeah. example of this. Like every player thinks that Jamal Crawford should be allowed to play till he's 50, even though he hasn't defended in 10 years, mm-hmm. like because he's still a difficult player to defend. Yeah. He is. It's um. I guess playing kind of playing devil's advocate to that. Um, and I've seen a lot of. I've seen media members really talk about this. Is that you know players only guard each other a couple times a year, right? Like the. Yeah. So the uh, you know their sense of that that perception is kind of off base. But you know what? It's you know it's. Yeah, like LeBron probably thinks Mario Hazonia is better than he is because he yeah. blocked him at the buzzer that one game. You know yeah. what I mean? LeBron's probably like, oh, Mario Hazonia, like that's a good defender. Yeah, I mean, Mario Hazonia probably thinks that LeBron should be Yeah, LeBron's a bad example probably because he, he watches like every NBA game alive, so he actually probably does have a pretty good <laughs> sense of like who's good and who's probably. not. But, like, like if guys like have a huge game against you, like I'm sure there are Thunder players who think Jody Meeks is like one of the greatest players yeah. of all time because he dropped 50 on them that one time. 
Yeah, or like Corey Brewer had like had fifty. I was like, I yeah, there are probably Timberwolves that still wake up having nightmares about Corey Brewer. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's always like stuff that I'm probably like, Detroit. There are members of the Detroit Pistons that think Kyle Kuzma is like probably better than Jason Tatum because he had that one game against that them 40, last year. Yeah, that one forty point game. I think I thought that yeah. was. Um, I, I got super excited by that game. I was like, yes, he's finally picking up and he's going to play to his, you know, full potential and stuff. And then I think the next yeah. game he went on and he had like a single digit game or something. I was like, never mind. Yeah. No. I mean, that's the, that's the Kuz experience, right? Yeah, like, is. I mean, he's, he's young and inconsistent sometimes, but I, I think at this point, the pendulum has swung to people massively undervaluing him. Versus, yeah. I, like, I feel like he's a better player now than when the Lakers fans were, were in on him, yeah. but it's because he's not, Scoring as much that everybody's kind of like, like, oh, he sucks now. Yeah, no, I was talking about this with one of my friends, um, in like one of our you know group chats and stuff like that, and he, we were talking about the two K twenty one ratings, and I don't play two K at all. Um, I'm just like not a big fan of it, but a lot of you know a lot of people do. This one friend of mine was, and he was just talking about, I was like, oh, Kyle Kuzma is like an eighty overall. What do you think about that? He's a Laker fan too, so really, you know, just kind of talking yeah. about. And I was like, hmm. Did they put out Kuz's rating? Oh, I gotta update our sheet with that. I did not see that. Hey, I I could be mistaken. I don't want I don't want to throw off your uh, your scheduling and stuff, but I believe it was 80, 81 overall, something like that. And because again, I don't you know I don't care about two K. Uh, I don't really look at this stuff at all. He just yeah yeah bring it up. But but he's like yeah. What do you think about the rating? I was like well, it depends on how that that rating is broken down. If it's going to be the same slasher, um, you know, three point shooting offensive wing that he was a couple years ago then that's completely inaccurate but if you if the rating is you know that high because they've given more importance to his his shot selection has gotten much better i feel like and his defense has taken huge leaps forward and if that's the contributing factor then i guess it's more accurate um yeah you know there's a lot of context behind some of this stuff but yeah no i i don't know i always find it really interesting to see what the differences and perceptions are, um, you know, between different groups of people. I think that's, that's always. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But you, okay. So you brought up the Harden thing, right? And I don't know if this is a thing that you want to talk about or not, which is, you know, it's, I get that. But what do you think, what would happen hypothetically right, right now, if you were like the, uh, for the Rockets point of view, right? Where their entire front office is kind of, a mess right now they don't have a coach they don't have you know the manager and stuff as it, well they have they have a gm they they they, they just oh, promoted they rafael stone to replace daryl maury yeah oh i guess i must have missed that okay so they have a gm in place but before yeah. that if, or at least a li- i don't know if his exact title is gm but he is their lead basketball decision maker and like that that i okay. forget what his exact title is now but yeah like he's in charge okay he's in charge okay I'm, i guess i must have missed that but in general right as what what would that process kind of look like if you're in an organization that's like kind of scrambling to find itself again after a big change like that? After I don't so what know. Do you mean? So I don't know if after Kobe retired or really towards the end of his career, uh, you were covering the Lakers. What was I don't know if you if you like picked up on what the you know next step was at that point and how yeah, the, so, I how mean, the honestly, organization was looking at it. Like last year might be a better example of this, at least okay. from my coverage experience. Like because you know Luke was let go, Magic had replaced, Magic had walked out. Like, um, and so it was kind of a similar situation to the Rockets, where they just promoted 
a guy who was second in command to first in command, and then they didn't have a coach. Um, and so like, you know, you're hearing all this stuff from like either former like assistant coaches or like whatever it's like, like you're hearing stuff about like, you know, Flinka's this like awful dude and like whatever. And like, you don't necessarily know what to believe because everybody right. that is gone and everybody that's still there is trying to get their story out. And obviously it's going to serve them. So like the people in the organization are like, everything is fine. All this is overblown. And the people that just left are like, this place is a shit show. Like, <laughs> you know, like all this stuff. So like, you're trying to like, I mean, obviously the truth is somewhere in the middle. And for the Lakers, yeah. it ended up being closer to what the Lakers were saying than what the people on their way out were saying mm -hmm. um, in this case. And so it's one of these things where you have to like kind of evaluate who you're talking to, what their motivation is for saying things. So it's like why you can't report every single thing that you hear. Like we see some people that are trying to be Woj on Twitter do because yeah. a lot of the time people are trying to use you. So like I, I think that one of the things that helped me is talking to people, but not necessarily for a scoop, like talking to people to inform your analysis of something so that like you okay. feel like you have a better understanding of what you're evaluating versus like trying to be the first on the story, like trying to just have your best understanding of what is going on. Like I think mm -hmm. it's helped me be a little bit more like accurate than some other people in like my takes and my analysis and stuff like that and my blogging uh, like as a whole. So I don't know mm -hmm. if that kind of answers your question, but like when there's changeover like that, like everyone's trying to get their story out and they're trying to, you know, like, and the organization is trying to fill those roles and make it seem like they know what's going on and like all of that stuff. Okay. That's interesting. So, I mean, you kind of touched on that real quick, but you talked about the um, being the first one to get the story out, right? How important is that just that one aspect of, of being quick? So you mean like in terms of like publishing our story or like actually myself breaking the news? Uh, both, I guess you could like, talk about so both. Separately. News breaking, honestly, to me is not necessarily what I want to do. There are some people that do it good and do it in an ethical way that I feel like are not, and I'm not going to name names because like, yeah. I don't want to like, you know, these are people that I have to work with and interact with, but right. like there are people that to me, and you could probably guess who I'm talking about anyway, like mm -hmm. there are people to me that do it more ethically than others where, you know, like it seems like in general, maybe they don't get every single scoop, but they are trying to tell the most accurate story and like the least sensationalist or whatever, where there are other people where they're basically like freelance PR for a certain faction, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. an agency, whether it's a team, whether it's whatever, like they're constantly putting out information. that's like, okay, that may be true, but this is where it's coming from and why. And so maybe it's like slightly planted. And this is not like a fake news thing. It's just, I feel like there are a lot of people that have kind of started to hand out anonymity like candy without asking yeah. whether or not this is the best information that they're getting. And so for me, like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to be a shill. And so I got into this thinking that like, I wanted to be a newsbreaker. And that was something that I wanted to pursue. Like, it's kind of become and like, people are going to say that this sounds like sour grapes, like, oh, he would break stories if he could. Like, there are times where I feel like I could have broken things. But it just didn't like, it didn't necessarily feel right. Like I didn't fully feel like I had it nailed down to be a hundred percent accurate. And like, also like, that's not necessarily what my job is. Like mm -hmm. there are times where like, I feel like I have a really good in on stuff and I can break things. But like most of the time, it's just to kind of inform my own thoughts about what is going on. And I feel like that's the better way for me personally to approach it because I also don't want to be I don't want to be seen as a shill. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't, yeah. even as much as we talk about the fandom, that's why I acknowledge my biases because I don't want to be seen as like, 
the unpaid team PR person, basically, or the unpaid agency PR person, or like, yeah. oh, this is really coming from so-and-so. Like, that's not what I want to be. I want to be someone that you can trust to tell you what they're actually thinking based on what they know. And so like, that is it for me. But like, obviously, there are times where like, if you get an in on a transaction, like, yeah, you'll break that. And like, that's like, that's fun. And people get excited about like, oh, like, it's an H-bomb. Oh, like, you know, fake and bomb, whatever. Like, <laughs> oh, an H-bomb. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fun when people say that. Like, yeah, uh, no, no, yeah. for sure. Um, but, um, you know, like, at the same time, that's not something that I try to get caught up in, because that's not ultimately what I want to do. Like, obviously, okay. my job could change, I could work for a different outlet that maybe that would become more important to. I'm just not right. sure that that's the route I want to take, because I just don't feel good about the way that the industry is trending towards that in terms of not necessarily, like, always putting out the fairest story and not putting out like, I, I just don't want to be one of those guys that's like, it just seems like they're doing PR or like, you know, basically right. serving as a mouthpiece. Okay. I, I'll tell you the adrenaline that you get from breaking stories is incredible because so I like to do, I mean, it kind of just happened. It's not like, you know, I was trying to do it, but I, I, I would, you know, see something on Twitter before, a lot of my friends and stuff, and I would immediately put that on our group chat. And be like, oh, this person, this player signing with this team for this many million dollars that I, you know, I saw on Twitter. And they're like, how did how did you know that? Blah blah blah. I didn't see it anywhere. And then like ten minutes later, the ESPN story comes up or the Bleacher Report. It's funny. I get to I get to feel that with my dad because like, mm. I'll hear stuff on. I'll get like a tweet alert about something, and I'm like, oh, like. You know, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't with him for this, but like, oh, Anthony Davis just got traded in the Lakers. He's like, what? I haven't seen that on, yeah. on Yahoo Sports yet. Like, um, or like, so like he, my dad thinks I'm woke, like, but, um, you know, I'm obviously not there yet. Yeah. No, I, I remember, I think, I think it was like the 2018 trade deadline or whatever, but I remember I was back in India and trade deadline, uh, like the, the, Time expires. It was like it at like three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, my time. Um, oh man! Then. But I remember being so into it, um, and it had it wasn't even the Laker thing because it was one of the years. I guess might have been twenty seventeen because one of the it was one of the years when the Lakers really were you know one of the awful years, right? But I was so invested. Take your pick. Take your pick <laughs> of the last before this one. Well, okay, so it couldn't have been before twenty sixteen because before twenty sixteen, okay. I you know I didn't know anything about basketball. I was just okay. All right. So it had to be between sixteen and eighteen. So I'm guessing it's I don't know one of those years. Okay. Um, I was so invested in the trade deadline. I think it was the year that they that the Cavs traded Kyrie to the Celtics for Isaiah Thomas. Um, so I think that was 17, but yeah, I remember being there. It was like two, three o'clock in the morning and I was on my bed refreshing Twitter. And I was like, I was sharing everything that I saw on my like Instagram story. Um, yeah. all my friends in India to see the next morning. Uh, and I had like, they were, I was getting people DMing me like, Oh, how did you know all this stuff? I didn't see it yet. And I was like, Hey, those are my sources. I can't share them with you. And it made me feel so, um, <laughs> I don't know. At the time, it felt. Look, I'm not. Cool. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, I when I first got on the Twitter and stuff, like before I was really doing this as a profession, I would, I would te just text my friends, not like the tweet. I would do the same thing. I would like mm -hmm. be in the group chat and I'd be yeah. like, "Oh, like the Lakers are signing Tim Saymovgov." They're like, "Oh, for real? How did you know that?" Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Twitter is fun. Like a, a little pro tip for those of you listening to this. Like sometimes you could do that with your friends or your parents or whatever, and it is fun. But I would obviously now I would never do that just because yeah. it feels unethical now that it's actually my job. But yeah, I won't lie. Like I, I did that when I was uh, just like watching as a fan, and I was like more invested in information sources than they were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it really isn't the same anymore. I think because now by the time it 
in the time it takes Woj to tweet out something, it's like maybe thirty seconds before Bleacher Report has their notification out saying, "Oh, this." Yeah, no, like yeah, Bleacher so, Report's always ready. Yeah, Bleacher Report is quick on that, so you it, you yeah. really have to be. It has to happen while you're like on your phone for you to be like, "Oh, just quickly, you know, copy it into your yeah. chat." But it, it's it, it's still entertaining. Um, it's it's something I like doing. But yeah, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean much because uh, we're not really breaking the news. It's still yeah. Yeah. No, it's just for fun. Yeah, it's it's it, it's fun. But I, I think that's one of the things that really got me into being more not just active on Twitter, but really following the right, the smarter people, because they're they're the ones that had access to um you know some of the sources, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> how did how did you get how is I don't know if you want to talk about your cause you were telling me earlier off uh you know off air, but if you want to talk about your you're kind of the kind of the history of you getting from turning into a casual fan to like somebody who's actually knowledgeable about basketball. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not an answer that Lakers fans are going to want to hear, but like, honestly, it started with like Bill Simmons um, because oh, no. he would write. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, and so like, but look like Bill Simmons, I think used to watch like a ton of NBA basketball and used to be like really, really knowledgeable about it. And I think now like, he has other things to do, like running a company and things like that. And so like, he doesn't have as much time to like actually get into the nitty. And maybe he does, but like, I, I don't know that based on his takes about the Lakers that I buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, he was someone that like wrote in this conversational fun way. They made jokes, whatever. And like, I know some of his stuff has not aged well. Um, and like, it, but that's, it was one of the things that kind of got me into it and like, was like, okay, like I will seek out other voices other than like, who's on the ESPN.com or ESPN LA, like, some of the first people that I read a ton were Dave McMenamin and the Kamenetsky brothers. Like I would literally refresh the old, I don't know if you, it sounds like you weren't around for this, but they used to do the ESPN LA blog and like the Kamenetsky brothers, I would sit at the bus stop and waiting to go to community college, like refreshing, looking for their pages. And like, it's actually kind of, it's like, it's still surreal to me that like the three of us are like friends now. And they've been like real, like kind of mentors for me Um, because I used to like read every single thing that they wrote. Um, and so like I was doing that and then like eventually at some point, I think it was during the 2012, 13 season, the really doomed one, I really started to come across silver screen and roll. It was like this conversational, really in-depth, like, like fan site. And it, it really drew me in. I like, I became a commenter. Like I became, I just like, I was constantly refreshing the page, looking for new stuff from like Ben Rosales or, you know, the great mm-hmm. Mambino or Drew Garrison and, you know, uh, like Dexter Fishmore, like yeah, CA Clark, like all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would read, um, and, and others too, that I'm like forgetting to mention, but like, I, I would read all their stuff. And then eventually like, I, um, you know, I was getting more into it. I was realizing who are the people to follow on Twitter. Like I would, I would read Mark Stein's, uh, um, like daily and then eventually weekly dime, like religiously. And, mm-hmm. uh, because he was another guy that like wrote with personality, you could tell when Stein wrote something. And again, okay. like another guy that it's like surreal, that has been like a mentor to me now because of like how obsessively I used to follow his work. He was the reason I went to Cal State Fullerton because like his, like talking about how great it was, I was like, oh, that must be where they train sports journalism stars because he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, little did I know, but uh, it ended up working out <laughs> great anyway. Um, yeah, it seems to have worked out fine. No, Cal State Fullerton is awesome. Anybody looking for college to go to, they have an awesome journalism program. Walt Berenger, their current Daily Titan advisor is amazing and definitely someone you should be looking to have take you under their wing um, mm-hmm. and take his classes. But like, I, um, so like I started doing all that stuff and like eventually I started writing for the blog and doing like daily links posts when I saw a help wanted thing, uh, switch my major from psychology, which I kind of dropped out of. 
and lost mm-hmm. my passion for, or at least my passion to go further in the major. I'm still very interested in psychological right. concepts. And I feel like that has influenced my understanding of the game and of media coverage in certain ways. And mm-hmm. as well as my, um, my past history minor um, that I never finished. But like, I, I, um, I ended up switching to journalism, going to school for that, uh, like, you know, working at the Daily Titan, the student paper for two years, uh, while also covering the Lakers uh, on a daily basis and doing Locked On Lakers and working for Silver Screen to Roll and Lakers Nation and starting up Lakers Outsiders and just like, eventually all that stuff, like it just kept cascading into getting me more and more involved. But I, it mm. was something where I was seeking out beyond like the you know, what's just on SportsCenter this hour coverage for a while before yeah. that, before I really started yeah. to get into it. Yeah, I remember a little while ago, I was like, you know, when I, was, I mean, quite a while ago, I, I suppose. But when I was like naive, I was like, oh, you know, what does it really take to be a journalist? It's not like you need any kind of training or whatever. You know, that was my perception at the time. I was like, whatever, you know, anybody can can do it. Um, and I remember. Well, to be fair, you listened to Anthony and I, so like <laughs> I, I would see how you could get that impression that it didn't require any training to do it because we had none. Hey, look, I loved your guys' show, and I, you know, I still some of my favorite episodes are the ones when you get back on Lockdown Lakers. It's just I think the chemistry that you. Oh have yeah, I I, is- I love that show still, and uh, like obviously Anthony and Pete are going to be groomsmen whenever I get to have my mm-hmm. wedding, and yeah. um, like you know, that, like those guys are the best. I, I still have so much love for that community. No, honestly, I think that can be, I talked about, th- I think I talked about this, but my, my experience as a basketball fan is I, it's, I think it's much more different than most people's or like than traditional because, you know, like you said, you talked to your dad about the Lakers stuff and you had, it was like your family thing. Is that why you were a Laker fan, by the way? That, cause uh, I was, no, honestly, my dad is the biggest bandwagon fan I've ever okay. met. And I make fun of him all the time <laughs> because he is a, uh, like in basketball, he just goes to whatever team he thinks is like team first or whatever. And, uh, okay. so, or whoever's going to win basically. Like he was a Bulls right. fan. Uh, like he was kind of a Lakers fan during the three P years. Um, like taking us to games because his company had a box suite. So like, that was awesome. Um, and like my introduction to going to basketball games live. Um, and then like, he is a Patriots fan and like, you know, when he, he only roots for baseball teams, like the angels and whatever, when they get good. Um, and so, so right now, never. Um, but like he, uh, like, so he kind of got me into sports, but I, like I latched on definitely to the local teams more so than he did, which like, you know, to be fair, he grew up in Canada. It's like a diehard hockey fan. So like, you know, he didn't really like, you okay. know, have like, he had a different experience growing up uh, with sports fandom than I did. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. So, but, but my point there was in general, I feel like, at least from, you know, what I've been reading and stuff like that, a lot of people get their sports fandom from their family and their friends, right? It's like, okay, it's tradition in our yeah. family to be Laker fans or whatever. Like I didn't have that, right? Because I grew up in India. I'm like, you know, Indian, whatever. Cricket, sure. We're, we're big on cricket. My entire family, huge cricket fan. But nobody... I still do not understand cricket, even in the slightest. Like, I've watched it. It seems like it's exciting. I do not understand it at hey, all. Hey, if you ever actually want to understand it, let me know. I will explain every tiny little detail to you. Honestly, the base... The base <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready for the lesson on, like, who the LeBron of cricket is and, like, you know, all that. Yeah, no, no, no. I'll give it to you. For me, it's Sachin Tendulkar. He's like my. I think he's one of the greatest players of all time. There's, there's some, you know, you can have, there's, there's two really. There's two names up there uh, between Don Bradman and I think Tendulkar. Those are the two guys. But, so there's like, a, so there's actually like a like a LeBron versus MJ debate. Kind of, yeah. I would say I'm, I, I might be slightly biased because he was Indian. I'm Indian. That's just my, 
maybe. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I definitely do think there there's two names to me that are up there. But um, yeah, no, overall cricket, I think is very it's a very easy sport to get into. I think it takes there's some nuances to the rules, which I think is the case for all sports, really. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, it, it's definitely a lot of fun. I feel like I really wish uh, it got bigger over here. Um, I feel like people would enjoy it, but it, it is what it is. But so in my family, nobody was a basketball fan or a football fan or really anything except cricket. And even even within cricket, it was only like Indian national team cricket. Like there was no, nobody cared about any of the local leagues and stuff like that. And yeah. Even at school, right, that I went to, like, nobody really was a basketball fan. It was it, – back then, basketball was very new. Basketball started getting bigger and more popular, I think, like, 2014, 2015, when the Warriors started being good, right? Yeah. All my friends that – half of my friends, you know, nobody really knew anything about basketball. And the ones that did, they were all Warrior bandwagon. I guess I can't really blame them for being bandwagon fans at the time because – yeah, have... look, when you don't live in the area, you just latch on to whoever gets you into the game. Like, yeah. I, 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 have, I, you know, I have no, um, like, I think the whole policing of fandom is lame anyway. Yeah, I agree. It's like, okay, it's, I, the only, I just don't like it when people jump around. Once you pick a team, stick with it. Yeah, no, like, look, if you jump around, like, I, I will absolutely make fun of you, like I do with my dad, yeah. like I just did. But, like, yeah. if you if you just latch on to whoever when they're good and you stick with it, I, you know, I, I would be a hypocrite because I latched on to the Lakers as the local team while they were good. Yeah. Like so, I, I can't say anything. Yeah. No. That's. Good. I mean, it's kind of how it goes with uh, all sports. But I, I distinctly remember this one time when I first started getting into basketball. Right. No. Neither of my parents really had any experience with it. They didn't know. They didn't care much about it. But my mom. Yeah. Um. Uh. She. She tried. Connect, she was like trying to connect with me through basketball. She was like, "Oh, let's watch a game together, whatever." She didn't know what the hell was going on, but she was, you know, making an effort. Because uh, this was like, you know, I was a teenager angsty teen phase you know she just wanted to yeah yeah and i remember one time she told me she's like yeah i remember watching michael jordan um dunk from the three-point line and i was like oh that's incredible i went to school the next day i was like yeah you guys should watch the clip of michael jordan dunking from the three-point line and i was you know now going back and thinking about that i was like that is the most ridiculous thing that i've ever heard or been told but i believed it because i was like hey i don't know anything about basketball i think that's just like this really funny wholesome story that i'll never forget that my mom just lied yeah. straight up she's like yeah i saw this man flying no it's, a, look, it's like all bunion or like it's like urban legends where they get exaggerated over time like he, he dunked from the free throw line but over time it became a three-point <laughs> line eventually you'll tell your kids it was from half court like you know yeah i'll tell them Giannis dunked from half court and i wouldn't even be completely wrong about it that uh, yeah honestly yeah, if you take two steps from half court it's kind of a dunk from half court like yeah Oh yeah, I was okay. So my point was, I was talking about UMP and uh, Anthony. Really, were like the kind of people that I would have to go to to li- not have to, that I got to go to to listen to about basketball and stuff. Because there was nobody else around me that could really, you know, I, I didn't have that family. Oh, look, that's what that's what you want it to be. Like you want it to feel like it's a conversation between yeah. you and your friends. That's always what we were trying to go for. That's honestly like David Locke, like starting the Locked On Podcast Network, like. I think he was one of the first to realize, like, obviously not the people had realized the potential of podcasts, but I think he was an innovator in the sense of like, 
like people want someone to talk with about their team every day and not everyone has like a group of friends that they can have a knowledgeable, passionate mm-hmm. conversation about. Like even sometimes like, look, I love my best friends, but like, you know, I'll text, I'll tell them about like, you know, Danny Green's still a really good help spender. Like, no, he's yeah, yeah, no, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. He, so like there's <laughs> yeah. like a certain level at times. I'm like, look, I still love talking to my friends about basketball, yeah. but they just have a different lens they view it through than I do. And so like, I think that, like having those podcasts out, like it's a brilliant thing that he came up with and, you know, not came up with, but like really kind of pushed, uh, like the end of the push the game forward basically on. Yeah. Of, of the, of podcasting. I think it's, I remember, I don't remember how I found, um, lockdown Lakers, but, uh, I immediately, I was like, Oh, that's, that's such a smart idea that every, you just have talk about your own team. Like, you don't, I don't necessarily care what the wizards are going to, you know, do in free yeah, agency. Yeah. Like, I just want to know what my team is going to do and what their outlook is. So yeah, I think it was you know, really smart idea from him, but I, okay. Are you a, a fan of like other sports and stuff? Um, just like casually. Not really. I used to be more so um, like I was a Chargers fan growing up uh, and I was I, like I would say if I had to claim a baseball team, I would say Angels just because okay. um, like that's the team that I grew up like actually getting to go to games and stuff. But I like, look, I'm I'm not going to claim that I'm like some diehard ba- Angels fan. I have an affinity for the Dodgers, too, just because like so many people that I know are so into them. So like, I hope they win the World Series. I'm not like an Angels fan on the level where I'm like, ah, no, like F those guys like. You know, I, like, look, you can call me a bandwagoner, but I kind of root for both teams. It's like, okay. it's like the Kings and the Ducks. Like, I, I grew up a Kings fan, but, like, I'm not super into hockey anymore. And, like, I'll go to Ducks games with my friends, and I'll cheer with him for them and stuff like that. But, like, I, I'm not super into any sports other than basketball anymore, just because so many of them overlap with the basketball season now where it's my yeah. job. I just don't have time to follow it, like, to the degree that I'd like to. The only thing that I'm, like – diehard diehard fan of still it's like cal state fullerton basketball okay which makes sense like i'm of course like i go to ut i'm a diehard longhorns fan right now even though we're really garbage at the moment um but i don't you know i go here it's like i kind of i kind of have yeah no you you adopt it look like cal state fullerton i don't think it's won an ncaa tournament game while i've been alive but like you know uh like you still root for it because it's your college team yeah but so okay so my question there i was how you feel about the Dodgers right now being good. But it's interesting that you brought up that because of the connection, I guess you have with your friends and stuff, because I find myself rooting for the Dodgers right now. I don't know anything about baseball. Um, like I said, grew up in, growing up in India, like I had, I've never seen a baseball game until I watched the game last night. Um, but I found myself rooting for the Dodgers because a lot of these Lakers people that I follow on Twitter, like Anthony and stuff like that, they're all very passionate Dodgers fans. And I just feel like, yeah, it's oh, like when God. you build that community, everybody starts to root for each other. Like I have like, you know, I like, I kind of hope that like the Rams win games just because yeah. so many of my friends are like into the Rams. Like, you know, I, if you're not attached, like you almost are predisposed to root for who the people you like are rooting for. Okay. So is there, is there a rivalry between the Dodgers and the angels and stuff? Is that like a Lakers Clippers thing or not like a real one, but it's like, it's kind of like Lakers Clippers of a couple of years ago where like, they've never met in anything meaningful. Mm. Like the fans get into it when they play each other, but it's not like, like, I don't think like angels fans are like rooting again. Like, I mean, I don't know, but like, ultimately I don't think that it's like that. It's not like Lakers Clippers this year. This year. Yeah. This year, I don't I, yeah. this year, it really was just the Clippers this year. Like I, I Laker fans for the most part, couldn't really care what the Clippers do. Cause they're, yeah, Lakers, uh, the, I think the accurate thing this year was, like, Lakers fans were, their favorite team was the Lakers, and their second favorite team was whoever was playing the Clippers. Yeah, that's fair. Or the Celtics, depending on, you know. Yeah, or the I Celtics, remember, depending I, on I, I, I remember I was watching 
Celtics Lakers, Celtics Clippers um, at like this sports bar kind of thing out here earlier uh, with friends and yeah, like early on in the season, right? Yeah, yeah, it was like this. Yeah, the game that went overtime. Yeah, 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 the overtime. Yeah, game. I remember that. I watched. I watched that game at a. I watched that game at a yard house with my friends while I asked the two of them to be my best men. So like, it oh, was, uh, <laughs> like that was a, that was a memorable one for us. We were just like basically rooting for chaos at the end, and it, it's what, really that yeah. game deliver. That was my yeah. So like I was there at we were playing pool. Me and a couple of friends of mine. The game was up on the side, and they're like, "Hey, who do you want to?" We noticed that you know game was getting close. I wasn't really paying attention, but once the game started getting close and you know towards the end of the fourth, and they're like, "Oh, who do you want to win?" I was like, "Honestly, I want this game to go to eight overtimes uh, and just tire everybody out because I I hate both these teams." But you know, I mean, that's what sometimes sports hate is what makes it the most fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think I think hate watching could be even more fun than actually watching your own team. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, like if you're not actually invested and you can just laugh at whoever loses, sometimes yeah. that's even more fun. Like, okay. Well, I think that about does it for today. We've gone on for a lot longer than I thought we would, but uh, yeah, we covered a lot of ground. I mean, did. but you know, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. We started rambling towards the end, but you know what? I think that's a big part of just conversation. I I, I enjoy it. Um, I'm, thank you again for coming on. Um, and if there's anything you want to share or plug or, you know, your Twitter, I don't yeah, know your Twitter earlier. Yeah. I, I think like, you know, just follow me on Twitter at HMF, A-I-G-E-N at HM Fagan. I'm championship Fagan right now. Eventually I'll transition into free agency Fagan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just check out silverscreenandroll.com. Uh, check out our podcast feed. Uh, I got a story coming tomorrow on, uh, Costa Setacumpo's free agency. And, uh, so yeah. Okay, before before I let you go, real quick, I have a couple, one, two more questions. How long are you going to keep up the championship Fagan, free agency Fagan stuff like that? I honestly don't know. I just like it was a bit I did as a joke, and mm-hmm. then like people seem to like it, and so like I'm just it's kind of like it's like the draft thing. It's like the, oh, the local man stuff. It's like the bucket tweets. It's like whatever people think is funny and fun. Like I just try to keep it rolling. So like you know, I'll I'll probably eventually like transition back to my actual name but people know who i am like they see me tweet links to like my articles like that, that you know like that like they could see my real name if they want to right i will tell you the local man thing is one of my favorite bits um on Twitter. yeah me too i'm just, i feel like i've fallen out of it because i feel like the headlines are less funny when they're winning i feel like it's way funnier yeah when, when they're, they're losing when it's, like, and it's, it's like, like ridiculous stuff like now you know we haven't had that in a while but like there's no more yeah, there's no like crazy cold. incompetence where yeah. you can actually have it sound like a florida man headline yeah, so yeah. like it's been harder to do okay well thank you for coming on uh thank you for your time i appreciate it and um yeah have a good one all right you too